Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for November 2018, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with musician Yorma Kaukinen about his new memoir, Been So Long, My Life and Music. From the man who made a name for himself as a founding member and lead guitarist of Jefferson Airplane comes a memoir that offers a rare glimpse into the heart and soul of a musical genius and a vivid journey through the psychedelic era in America. Music is the reward for being alive, writes Yorma Kaukinen in this candid and emotional account of his life and work and a career that has already spanned a half century, one that has earned him induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, among other honors. Yorma is best known for his legendary bands, Jefferson Airplane and the still touring Hot Tuna. But before he won worldwide recognition, He was just a young man with a passion and a dream and a guitar. Been so long is the story of how Yorma found his place in the world of music and beyond. I began my interview with Yorma Kaukinen by asking him about his longtime friend, the bass player in both Hot Tuna and Jefferson Airplane, Jack Cassidy. I asked Yorma, when did he first meet Jack Cassidy? I first met Jack in 1954. And I met him through his older brother, who was one of my buddies. So we were both into hot rides and stuff. But because <clears throat> my dad was in the service and we traveled around a lot, I lost a year. And so when I came back from the Philippines, my and Jack's brother and the guys that we were in the same class were already off in a, off in college. And so um, I wound up hanging out with Jack, and we realized we had a lot of stuff, a lot in common, mainly. Music. Now, I'd never played the guitar before. Jack, Jack was a guitar player, been playing for a long time. But, but with him and his friend of mine, Michael Oliveri, they introduced me to the guitar, and I just fell in love with it. And I never fell out of love with it. And what and what has kept you together with Jack for so long? I mean, for, as friends, this, this is a really special relationship, right? It, it is. It is. And, and you know, if Jack was part of this conversation with you and me. Well, a funny thing would happen. First of all, he's very talkative in interviews. I wouldn't have to talk at all because he'd be doing all the work. <laughs> but but uh, aside from that, uh, you know, Jack and I are very different kinds of people. But we've, for whatever reason, we've always respected each other as, as, as men and as artists. I mean, I don't think we ever thought about it when we were younger, but we just did. We've never had a band meeting, ever. And for people to play music, we'll really appreciate how special that is. <laughs> uh and we discuss stuff. We don't always agree, but it always works out, and he's still my best friend. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Fur Peace Ranch uh, in Ohio. What, when did you start the ranch? What was your f- reason for getting this started, and, and why Ohio? I'm just so curious about that. Well, we're into our 21st year at the ranch here, and I moved here in 91. Uh, well, what happened was, <clears throat> in 89 or 90, I forget exactly which, uh, a friend of mine offered us 126 acres down here for $32,000. And I just couldn't say no to it. Now, there, was, there were no buildings. There was nothing there. It was just a beautiful piece of property in the Appalachian foothills. And my wife and I were talking, because I'd taught off and on uh, for years, and we went, you know, we'll, uh, we should call it the Fur Peace Ranch because it's a fur piece from anywhere, and uh, I'll, we'll give guitar lessons. Now, if it had been left up to me, I'd probably be sitting in a hay bale by the campfire. 
but uh, my my wife had an identity as a civil civil engineer before we got married, and so she went to the bank, got them to believe in us, all this kind of stuff, and and uh, we we broke ground in uh, in '97 and opened in '98. It's so cool. That is so cool that, that I, I don't play guitar. I used to be a drummer at one time in my life, but boy, there'd be no one I'd like to take guitar lessons more than from you, Yorma Kalkinen. That would be so incredible. <laughs> it's so easy. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Oh, my goodness. Hey, on the subject of drums, could you mind sharing some thoughts? I, besides you and everyone in the airplane, Spencer, as a drummer, Spencer Dryden is one of my all-time drumming heroes, and I just don't think he's ever gotten enough credit. And I'm, I was, it was very poignant to hear that you reconnected with him before he passed away And what was that, 2005? I, I, did, I did. Do you mind sharing what, well, I, what that was like and what Spencer was like? Of course. Of course, of course, I completely agree with you. And of the of the drummers that we had in the time that the airplane was together, in my opinion, he was absolutely the most inventive. Uh, and he was just, you know, he he wasn't a large man. You know, he was sort of a diminutive, slender kind of guy. And so when we got into the the more in your face rock and roll kind of stuff, I mean, in retrospect, who knows what the deal was. But but the, the drumming that he did with us um, on uh, on Surrealistic Pillow and you know and the early Airplane albums, I mean it's off the charts. I mean it's like he does exactly what he needs to do. Uh, he's not a heavy hitter. He's not a ginger baker. I mean just he, I agree with you. He's a completely uh, idiosyncratic drummer. Nobody else played like him, and he was just great. He was also a great guy, and I was so thrilled to be able to reconnect with him before he passed. Uh, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, the, the nurse, uh, the reason I was able to do that is because the nurse at the facility where he was uh, at the hospital had actually come to the Fur Peach Ranch as a student. And we got talking about it, and I said, you, you got to hook me up. And when he went home, to, back to work, he did. Wow. Mm-hmm. The uh, you you recount the 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 era of the Jefferson Airplane going from studio album to studio yeah. album, and then at one point you literally say, "Gee, I almost forgot about our bless its pointed little head, and what a favorite it is right. of mine. It is of of mine too. It's one of the greatest live rock and roll albums of all time." And and it sounded like uh, you were in uh, fine fine spirits when that album was being recorded live. T- tell me yeah. about that. What made it so special? Yeah, you, you can say, well. We, we, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, aside from the fact that it's us, I think it's one of the really great uh, live albums. Also, we were touring relentlessly, so we were in top form when we did that. It's just one of those things where, you know, I mean, everybody makes mistakes, but we didn't make many, and it just wound up being a great record. Now, Embryonic Journey is talked about so much, uh, uh, your track on Surrealistic Pillow, but I want to focus on one of Crown of Creation, if you don't mind, which again, I, I is one of my personal favorites and perhaps isn't as talked about so much, and that's Ice Cream Phoenix. And, and you co-wrote that with a, another musician. Uh, I want to hear the right. story behind Ice Cream Phoenix. Sure. So I had this friend named Charlie Cocky, who I met in 1962 when I moved to California. I was living down the peninsula because I was going to school down there, and Charlie lived in, uh, up there in, uh, in the city. And we, he was a folky guy, and we became friends. In fact, there's a picture somewhere, which I couldn't find or would it be in the book, of me playing guitar and him playing auto harp, looking really intense at the camera. It's really funny, but I can't find it. Anyway, um, so we, we, we had been friends, and he wound up being a roommate of me and my ex-wife for a while. 
and we just sit around and starting to do stuff. And, it, and back in those days, uh, I was an infrequent songwriter, and so, but I didn't mind collaborating. And it was, and he was just a fun guy to work with. And so we were able to put that song together. I like that song. I agree with you. I think it's a cool song. It is a cool song. I love your story too about uh, performing. I believe it was at a benefit for Bobby Kennedy. My goodness, that must have been incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you think about all, all the stuff that. Uh, that was a part of our lives because that's what was going on back then. I remember that the, the, the Kennedys flew us to, um, to D.C. from California in a Learjet, and the, the, the jet took off in San Francisco and landed somewhere in the Midwest to refuel. They had a red carpet and stuff. And I mean, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I mean, if you think about, I mean, the year, the, you know, a couple of years before all this happened, I was playing in a coffee house that's probably no bigger than my my living room is today. <laughs> that's incredible. And that's Bobby Kennedy's dog in, in the Crown of Creation album sleeve. I had no idea. Correct. <laughs> Brumus. 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 Yeah, that's his dog. Let me sque- try and squeeze in another quick question or two. You played at the, sure. these three mythic festivals, Woodstock and Altamont and, and Monterey Pop. Sure. Is, is it fair to say that you were happiest with uh, how the way things went at Monterey Pop back in 1967? You know, it's it's very fair to say that. I mean, I understand that all of those three that you've mentioned, you know, the sort of like uh, the triumvirate of uh, festivals yeah. are iconic on many levels. However, just in terms of the vibe and the way things worked out, in my opinion, Monterey was tops. Yeah, I bet. Two more figures, behind-the-scenes figures. Um, a few quick thoughts. Nikki Hopkins and Al Schmidt. First of all, let's talk about Nikki for a sec. Yeah. Now, may he rest in peace. Nikki was absolutely brilliant. He was like the consummate sideman, no matter who he was playing with. You know, a great guy to work with. Um, you know, and he was just always there to, to do whatever the project needed needed to be done. Just a great guy, and it's so unfortunate that, that he passed so young. Al Schmidt. Um, I, I talk about it in the book. Al Schmidt. Is one of the, like, he's a famous recordist. He did all these rhythm and blues artists, all these people and stuff like that. He, he's got he's on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's got his own star and stuff. I mean, Al was the man and still is because he's still recording. And looking back at it, I wish I'd paid more attention to what he did to make things because he has such golden ears. Uh, his ability to place microphones and stuff was awesome. But of course. We were so full of ourselves that I really didn't. But Al and I stay stay in touch. I mean, he was just brilliant in being able to work with a bunch of nut jobs like we all were and come up with great ideas. And I think he made us think that we came up with them, and so we did them. Thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for November 2018. Our interview was with Jorma Kaukinen about his new memoir, Been So Long, My Life and Music. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. If you-